Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. back to the driver's meeting podcast episode number 20 we're back here after the weekend after phoenix uh the west coast swing uh, a little bit limited west coast swing this year is now over we head to atlanta that'll give us a little time to talk about uh our sponsor of this episode bet online back again with march madness starting up very soon uh the brackets have been announced so you want to get your bets in uh the one hundred thousand dollar bracket madness contest uh as bet online is the spot for all your bracketology needs Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So that's March Madness getting started. Get your bets in there for Bet Online. But this weekend at Phoenix, I mean, uh, we had two, two Xfinity Cup races and then the Arca West race on Friday. No trucks this weekend. But the Xfinity race was another very solid race, and we got one of uh, the top finishers in that race here with us, Bailey Curry, seventh place finish. Uh, thanks for being on today. And I mean, how much, I mean, I'll ask you right away, how much momentum does that give you and your team and just you as a driver after a finish like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, quite a bit, honestly, uh, especially after the first few weeks we've had, uh, we've had a rough go of it for the first three or four. And uh, so we, going out there and getting a good one kind of, you know, gives us a little bit more hope going into Atlanta this weekend and uh, let us know that we, we can, we can do this deal. We just got to, you know, buckle down and get focused. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know Tommy Joe uh, was, I was just talking about with you about how wild that final restart was. Um, <laughs> some people picked up a bunch of spots. Some people lost a bunch of spots and you were the one that, you know, got on the positive end. You guys had already been having a very solid day and then you get more spots on the restart. I mean, how, how, you know, how do you manage keeping the car clean and also picking up as many spots as you did, you know, to get that finish. Uh, I just, I knew that I wanted to take the bottom uh, from the get go just cause it always, to me there, the way the line was, everybody's fighting for the top. It kind of gives you an out when all those guys are trying to dive up the top and they start running into each other. So uh, I knew I wanted to take the bottom and really I went to turn one just about as low as I could. I didn't really think I was going to pass anybody, but I knew if I ran down, you know, right below the line that I could stay out of the trouble and sure enough, something happened and we were able to capitalize. Well, Bailey, that's why you're a lot smarter than I am because I took the top <laughs> and wound up about, I think I started about two rows behind you and wound up about 10 spots behind you. Yeah. So that was a smart move on your part. <laughs> and it was an excellent great day for you. The thing is leading up to that, You've been running in the top 15 and been able to hold on to some of that track position that you guys picked up in stage three. Yeah. No, I felt like just having the track position was huge. Uh, we start, like we ran like 25th or so all throughout the first stage. And I felt like we had a good car. It's just so hard to pass, man, with that PJ one. And especially in the beginning, because it wasn't wearing at all. And it was just yeah. hadn't hammered up there. Yeah. Do we think like, 
I know the PJ one is always a, you know, a top, you know, topic, especially when we go to the tracks. I mean, I know the broadcast doesn't stop talking about it, <laughs> but is that a thing where the PJ one, um, it just, is it a thing that just needs to be like, right? Like I know usually in the past when we used it, it's, you have a full weekend of practice and qualifying and laps on the PJ one to kind of get it worn in to whereas you guys are starting on it basically fresh. Is, is that a thing that really plays into a big factor into kind of how it's used during the races? Uh, I think so. Uh, like you saw in the Xfinity race, how like you had to be in it, but uh, in the cup race, it didn't lay any more down. And like those guys were able to move around a little bit more and you could see it really wear towards the end. I thought it put on a great race. I thought the Xfinity race was pretty good too. You just had to be pretty aggressive if you wanted to make a pass. Yeah, and I was surprised, Bailey, that they re-sprayed it before our race. Like, that yeah. was the big thing, was they sprayed it before the ARCA race, and then because of a little bit of a light rain, which I guess any rain in the desert is considered a, a serious rain, <laughs> for some reason it really wasn't a very heavy rain, yeah. but they decided to re-spray it and, and really brought the grip level up, and, and like Bailey said, it didn't take very long for everybody to figure out what the, the dominant groove was going to be, and, you know, Bailey and I have raced around each other a lot, even though you respect each other and even though you, you really try to give each other room a lot of the times, cause we're all kind of in the same ballpark, right? Yeah. We're all racing for spots, but we can't really afford to tear anything up. Mm-hmm. When you go to these places with PJ one, you basically just have to use each other up to get around mm-hmm. each other. I mean, it, I, I really, I don't know about you, Bailey, but inside the car, I think the crew and the spotter and everybody tries gets really irritated about this and it's hard to keep yourself calm. But in these moments when we're racing at like Kentucky, like we did with the PJ one last year, Charlotte with the PJ one last year, uh, Phoenix with the PJ one. I mean, anytime we put this stuff down on a racetrack, I feel like I have to basically dial back my like get irritated meter because that's just the way you got to pass everybody. You got to basically slide job them get them loose, move them up. I mean, it's, it is so hard. You, you basically just have to run somebody almost dirty to get around them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I feel like they're towards the middle of the race. The only way I could pass someone is if I just ran off in the corner and packed air under the left rear and knocked, just shoved them up out of the way. And I mean, there's really like, there's nothing you could do even at the end of the race. I think Moffitt got to me at one point because they came and put on tires and he tried to go to the bottom. But he just he couldn't, couldn't do anything. I just run right back around them on top. Right, and that's where guys get frustrated, and eventually they try to make moves that aren't going to stick. And and I yep. think basically this PJ one has just led to a lot more cautions, and we saw that in the Phoenix race the other day. I mean, there's a lot of cautions. Whether you think that's good or yeah. bad, I'm talking about as a fan here. It just this type of racing, this one group stuff, it just is going to lead to guys getting frustrated and making moves that maybe aren't going to stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we saw yesterday in the cup race. No, I agree. Uh, it's kind of like back to. Yeah, that incident. I was going to say the incident with uh, Ross Chastain um, where he checked up and Bowman was right behind him and Austin Dillon. Like normally that was just a small hiccup by Ross, right? He gets out of the groove, slows down a little bit. But with this racing where it's so close and if you're in that one groove, everyone just piled in. You know, Bowman just piled right in the back of him. Um, Dillon, you know, piled right in the back of Bowman. And that was something, I don't know if it, you know, happened a lot during the Xfinity race, if people were stacking up, up on the top. Is that something you guys saw or, I mean, happened firsthand? It's definitely something I felt, especially on restarts. Uh, It always stacks up on restarts, but when everybody's just trying to get up on the top lane, it stacks up even worse. And there was a few times where I about missed PJ1 going in turn one because I'm like trying to dodge the guy in front of me. 
Yeah. And, and that line for it was so sensitive. Yeah. Uh, and it really, some of that's due to just some of the cautions we had earlier in the race. And I talked to my crew about that on the debrief. You had basically two guys blowing up motors on the track down. They put a ton of stage dry over there in, in one and two. And it, all of that stuff got pushed out, right? It's going to get pushed all the way to the inside. It's going to get pushed all the way up to the wall. Well, the thing is, like the way that PJ1 was laid down, everybody kept trying to move the groove up slightly, right? Like, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to block the inside part of it. Yeah. So what do you do as a driver? You're like, okay, well, I'm going to try to get to his outside. But the problem is... Like the outside was basically a gravel trap. Yeah. So if you just went two feet past it, I did this and I scuffed up my car trying to make a move to the outside. There was no grip at all. And that's what I, I thought led to a few cautions over there in one and two. It was really guys trying to make that outside move and there was just no grip at all. Yeah. No, it's like just jump the cushion. Like you just yeah. get over that good and it's nothing. Yeah. Were there any slide jumps uh, any of you guys had to pull during the race? I mean, I know I saw some people doing it because sometimes that's that was the only way you could pass. I mean, were there were there any sliders uh, going on for you guys at least? Uh, I try to pull as least slide jobs as I can just because I know <laughs> that if I miss, I got to fix this car and go to Atlanta this week. But uh, maybe a little bit, but they're they're very slow and you can hardly call them a slide job. I might get up in front of someone when we're past the middle of the corner. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the, the move was down in turn three and four. Now mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was try to get a run on somebody through one and two, especially as if they were struggling mm-hmm. and then just overdrive the heck out of one and two or sorry, three and four and, and hopefully park them in the middle of the corner. And, and the yeah. thing was like, anytime we're doing this, RJ, anytime or into the fans, listen to this. Anytime we're doing a slide job like this, you're really asking the guy that you're passing to cut you a little bit of a break, right? I mean, not, not like a big break, because the thing is, if you're right there on their bumper for several laps, they know, and you, they know you're faster than them, you know, but when you make that move, like I've made that move on the 26 of Ferrucci and I made it to him a couple of times. And the thing is like, I think Santino and he's an aggressive driver and I'm, this is not me talking crap at all, but he would just cross me back over and now we're doing the same thing again. Right? So it's like to make that move stick it. Yeah. You got to make the move, but you also kind of have to guy go, all right, look, I know you're faster than me and I'm going to kind of allow this to happen a little bit. And, and when you're racing in a group, you're a little less, re- less likely to let that happen, RJ, because you feel like, well, if I let him go, well, now I'm going to lose four spots because I'm going to be yeah. stuck on the bottom. Right. And so th- when you saw this, that's why it was like a conga line up there in the top. Everybody was going to protect that, and nobody was going to try to make that move, almost like if we were racing a super speedway, RJ, right? Like everybody starts running the top. You don't see anybody dive out and go to the bottom unless they know 100% they're going to clear the guy and get back up in line. And it was just hard to do. There were so many of us that were running. I mean, I looked at the times, Bailey, from the breakdown of the race. Yeah, basically the entire field running within two-tenths of a second of each other just because we were all up there in it. And even though – you're running for Mike Harmon racing and you don't have the horsepower of some of those guys that are up there in the top 10 didn't matter. They, they couldn't put mm-hmm. it down to get away from yeah. you because you were right there in the line. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that part was crazy. I feel like I've never been in for the, the packs were as big as they were. Like you, 
run up on a pack and there'd be six cars right there with each other. And you'd almost just, what I was doing, I just wait for someone to try to pass someone and make sure I was on the guy behind me and just try to go down on the outside. Yeah. Would you say overall that for the most part, you felt like you ran a pretty defensive race more than anything, like really just kind of letting it come to you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, just trying to get my track position when I could. Uh, I would be pretty, you know, aggressive on the restarts. So I feel like you have to be, especially just nowadays everywhere. Uh, but other than that, I would just, you know, I'd run my line. I'd try some different things in the PJ1. I wouldn't really venture too far out of it or out, like, to the bottom. Uh, I moved around. I ended up at the end, I almost ran, like, a cushion in one or one and two because I could get it free and just put the right rear on it and run around there and uh, just trying different things in my line to try to figure out what's best for me. And then, yeah, just kind of let guys try to pass someone and just make sure I was tucked up and get around them on the outside. So, Bailey, I want to talk to you about really the West Coast swing as a whole here because you had something that I think is awesome, which is a big sponsor on the car. And I don't know how big it is, and I'm not getting into your money here, but I love the fact that Lerner and Rowe, you're talking to a guy that lived in Vegas for a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, Lerner and Rowe were on your car for both the Phoenix and Vegas races. They mm -hmm. ran billboards for the team. Yeah. Yeah, down on the strip, I saw the billboard and pointed it out to my guys. I thought that was so cool because here is Mike Harmon Racing, which we can talk about kind of the overall perception of Mike Harmon Racing mm -hmm. over the last few years. And I think you and Kyle are really helping to change that. And now billboard on the strip, you guys go to Vegas, the 74 car obviously doesn't have a very good run. You guys find yourself in a in basically a do or die point situation when you go into Phoenix. Yeah. And then you guys hit an absolute home run with a sponsor on the car supporting you. It, it felt like everything kind of came together there in Phoenix. And, and look, I know you wanted to be in the points a little bit better than you were. Mm -hmm. But that, that was like a had to have it right yeah. now get you back in the points type of thing i mean that was like like literally do or die i think for you guys race team and rj and i have been really honest about this with the way the points worked out but yeah. just talk about like the whole thing kind of coming together the sponsor the vegas vegas race the letdown what was the pep talk going into phoenix and then yeah. all of a sudden how many points you guys scored and kind of getting back in that mix for maybe the bonus money and and all that yeah, I mean, really, I mean, honestly, having learned in a row come on, uh, Mike has some friends out there in Vegas who had a contact with them and got them on. And they're actually going to be on in Atlanta now, too, because uh, of what we did at Phoenix. So, really good deal there. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, we went to Vegas, didn't run good at Homestead. We had a good car, but just, I think we, we broke a drive shaft and just, we've had issues. It feels like just little things every time. And then uh, Vegas, we were fast, but then we had a truck or no, the pinion shims started to slide out. Had to go behind the wall, get all that done, end up 22nd or whatever. And I'm looking at the points, and I'm thinking the same thing. Like, man, like, I'm going to need, like, four good races to even get back to 36. Because at the time, the 36 was 12 points ahead of me or something. I'm like, he's not going to run bad. I'm not going to beat him by 12 spots. So, you know, we go to Phoenix. At the beginning, like I said, we weren't that good. I just felt like we were pretty average. And then we started getting a little bit better, got some track position, and then at the end of the race on that last restart, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, like, I don't need to do anything crazy here. I need to, you know, stay calm as much as I want to. And this, this is what I'm talking to myself before the green flag fell. I'm like, okay, I got to stay calm. Like, we're in a good spot. If I can just finish here, we'll be really good. Because the 36 was the reason for the last caution. I was like, okay, we can get back in this deal. And 
when the green flag fell, all that stuff kind of went out of my mind. And uh, I shot across the apron there with everybody. And then I found myself six wide. I'm like, really, I cannot mess this up now. Because <laughs> if I do, Mike's going to be pissed. So uh, luckily made it through. But, yeah. And then, remember, we were all calculating the points after the race to see if even that was enough. And it, it, uh, it jumped us up quite a bit. So that was definitely a good thing. Hopefully we can just carry this momentum. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that, Bailey, because, like, I've driven for BJ McLeod. I've driven for Carl Long. I know how honest they are about the points mm-hmm. going into races. And I wanted to know if Mike, is this something Mike came to you about? Did you already kind of know yourself? Are you looking at it? I look at oh, it I'm like, I look at it like a lunatic. I mean, I'm checking it like twice a day, every day I'm looking at yeah. it. Oh yeah. I, I definitely, I keep an eye on it. I mean, obviously Mike talks about it, but uh, yeah, I knew, I knew after, you know, Rex Daytona had lost breaks at, uh, the road course and then we broke at home so i was like we're in a bad spot here like we need to go and do something and like i said vegas we were good we just didn't have the finish and then to finally get a good finish to just shoot us back up into i think we're like we're 30 seconds so we're four spots ahead of the the cutoff there and close to the bonus money now so we just got to keep this going and like i said i definitely look at it heck i want to i'd like to be 25th i'd like to be way better if we can be consistent i know that we can be somewhere like that so I want to bring up something in your past a little bit here, Bailey. So mm-hmm. Bailey Curry, top 10 in the truck series, mm-hmm. Phoenix Raceway. Yeah. That team was the 83 team for DJ Cop, if I remember yeah. correctly. Bailey Curry, top 10 Xfinity series, Phoenix Raceway, Mike Harmon racing. Now, to me, this is, this is as a fellow driver here. Mm-hmm. That stands out to me a lot <laughs> because yeah. the teams that you were racing for here, we would not consider top 10 organizations. And I think everybody would, would agree there. Mm-hmm. But for you to get these runs on those teams in two different series and, and also at the same racetrack, first of all, what are you doing at Phoenix? What, can, what do I need to learn from you that you're doing at Phoenix? Is this a place where just every time you show up, you just think you're just about to kick ass? Not really, dude. I'll be honest. Uh, and with the tenth in the truck was honestly like super lucky. Like we, it, everything just happened. Like we happened to like we were two laps down, got the lucky dog twice. It was like my third truck race ever, and uh, that's when they went six wide that weekend too. And that's when they all wadded up, and I ended up making it right through. And then the two leaders crashed, and we just we got really lucky on that one. And then I went through a time there where I felt like I was just terrible. Like I was like I hated going there. Like I wasn't very good. But then last year we went and we were really good. I'm like, okay, like this place isn't so bad. Finished top 15 in the fall, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, um, like I, I think going back there with some confidence definitely helped. Uh, but yeah, I don't. It is kind of crazy to think the top 10 with uh, both of those teams, uh, especially with DJ back then. We were racing with SB2 Motors, and you know we were we were way down, but uh, we still made it happen then. Well, I think about your career and coming in, and, and this is, again, I'm looking at this from kind of the inside the industry look at you here, Bailey, because mm-hmm. you came in, you were running for some different teams. I can tell the, the impression here was another young kid trying to bring a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not sitting here saying that you had like a ton of funding behind you, but definitely yeah. like just trying to get your feet wet, try to get some mm-hmm. experience. But I think the narrative for you really quickly shifted because you were working on your own stuff. You were like working in shops. You were helping prepare your own cars. You were doing that at the cup level. 
And I know there were people that were going, what the hell is Bailey Curry doing running a cup car? Did, did yeah. you, did you feel that? Did you feel like other people were like, you know, what's this kid doing here? He hadn't even run enough races. No. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just even just going through social media, you see it, obviously uh, you try to block all that out. But I mean, I was just trying to get to the point where, you know, I had some cup, I wanted to get experience and everything. Cause if someone ever needed a backup guy or something like that, I wanted to be at the racetrack and have a cup license, be able to do all that because a lot of the time that's, that's not there. And if I'm there working for somebody, I can just jump in the car. I'm there. I got to always have my stuff. So uh, that was kind of my thing. I watched uh, guys like Bubba Wallace and Alex Bowman. They, they were kind of backup guys and they got in a good car and you know, they're full-time cup guys now. And uh, I watched that. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get there going and like finding huge sponsors and going to the biggest teams and going out and winning races like that. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that, but I knew if I could just try to get myself not and something like that, uh, improve myself, that uh, that would help me get further in my career. Because really, I wasn't even – when I was running late model stuff in Texas, I really didn't see NASCAR as like an, anything. Like, I was like, I never will make it there. I don't have the funding. I can't do it. But then just, you know, I had a buddy that worked up in the industry and kind of told me that you can kind of work your way in pretty cheap. Uh, so that's just kind of what I've tried to do. Yeah, and, and – that narrative changed for me when I saw how much work you were doing on your own car. And really, I think you had a race. It was maybe at Pocono in a car. I'm trying to remember this. This is a while back. Was it Pocono? And I think you guys finished in the top 20 or top 25 or something like that. Yeah, it was a pretty good, it was kind of a standout run. And I had noticed that you had, you had actually gotten a little speed out of that car you were driving at the time. And I was like, you know what, this, I don't think this kid's that bad. And yeah. again, this is me looking at it as another driver. No offense. I just assume everybody sucks until you prove otherwise. Like to me, right. this is just me. All right. And I immediately was like, you know what, actually that's, that was, that's pretty good. And then when I noticed the, you were getting Mike's car mm -hmm. and immediately I felt like the performance in the car picked up. I, I really did. And, and I think Mike was at a stage of his career where yeah. he felt like he needed to have somebody else in the car what, what did that work like? Like, how did that introduction happen? Did you see that as like this big step down? Did you see it as an uh, opportunity? Well, I mean, really the way it came about was, so Rick had bought Xfinity points from one of the Roush teams whenever, I guess it was the, the 16 Roush team when it shut down. And he bought a car, and but Mike was preparing and bringing it to the racetrack. So that's kind of how I got to know Mike. Uh, and I'd go, I'd start park their car, I'd race their car, whatever, and you know, Mike liked me. He saw that I worked on my own stuff, and I feel like he knew. Like, I gave pretty good feedback, and we were able to build that up quite a bit. I mean, we went to Charlotte. I think we qualified like 15th or something when there was like that 40-something cars there that weekend. And and, and real uh, quick, just to remind everybody here, this was at a time that basically you had to qualify it on speed. Mm -hmm. And for a small team, having a driver like Bailey that could get the car in the show, I mean, that, that was invaluable. That's what basically got Bailey those opportunities. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it is. And really – uh, I mean, I didn't really like being the starting part guy, but I feel like, like you said, it was, it's really what, you know, I feel like got me noticed and really, you know, got Mike to, uh, like me having be me being in his cars. So, uh, I did that and then I ran, you know, a handful of races in the beginning of the year in 2020. And then after COVID, I think I ran pretty much all of them. And that's kind of what led to my deal here now where I work here, uh, and I'm getting to run for the full year. So. Right. And, and something tells me that you're hired as a mechanic 
and you're yeah. getting to race. Right. <laughs> so no, yeah, pretty much. Talk about like the difference there and what people are thinking this is, because I think people mainly on the outside are like, oh, you're a NASCAR driver. So they've had the same thing to me. It's like, yeah. first of all, I'm not getting paid as a NASCAR driver. I'm sitting in my office right now at the shop. Yeah. Like I'm the general manager. That's what I'm getting paid as. I'm not getting paid mm -hmm. as a driver. Like, yeah. So talk about how that's a little bit different. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm a mechanic Monday through Friday and I get to go race on Saturday. So, uh, and I feel like I, you know, do pretty good with the mechanic stuff. And I feel like, you know, I've worked on this stuff for a long time now and I've worked at, you know, Nice Motorsports, Rick Ware Racing. And I've learned quite a bit, especially, you know, from the, you know, there's the, those teams, those cup teams like that, they have a lot of experience at them. A lot of the older guys are there. And I've tried to learn everything I can from those guys. And then going to Nice with some of the newer stuff, I try to learn everything there. And then when I come here, uh, I apply the best I can. Sometimes they don't have the resources to do so. But uh, I do everything I can with what I got and try to make these cars as nice as I can and uh, perform as best I can. Well, to me, and, and I know to RJ as well here, and RJ, look, I know I'm talking the whole time. Like, you guys have completely changed a dynamic in the entire Xfinity series here, Bailey, because – I'll, I'll admit, and I think this was kind of like the the running thing for a while. There were just cars that you knew you were going to beat. Mm -hmm. Period. They were just gimmies in the field. Jimmy Means had struggled for a few years. You knew that Mike just didn't have the funding and and mm -hmm. probably was going to start and park a car or maybe just kind of run part of the race or whatever. Okay, Carl brought a start and park car. You know what? There was going to be a few cars in the field that you know you know, Morgan Shepard was going to bring mm -hmm. a car. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. You know, I'm basically, if I, if I run the full race, I'm going to finish 25th or better. Mm -hmm. There were just some parts of the field that you knew were just a gimme. Like I'm just going to beat them. Right. If we just run the whole race and we buy the tires, that is completely yeah. gone. There, yeah. there are 40 cars now that are capable of running in the top 15 on speed. Mm -hmm. And you guys are the example that I use Every time this gets brought up where they're like, mm -hmm. oh, well, we'll be I'm like, first of all, what are you talking about? Mike Harmon's running top 10. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they're running in the top 10 now. The series is different. Oh. As Mike is talking to you guys, as he's talking to you and Kyle, who now both of you have top 10s for Mike Harmon racing, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of the season, was this something that Mike, he had to kind of know that this was going to be a loaded year. And that if he wasn't kind of going for it, that it was going to be really tough. Yeah, I think so. And it's like you said, dude, the, the mid-pack race in Xfinity, I think it's better than the one going on up front a lot of the times. Uh, but, yeah, he knew. I and, mean, you know, just coming off of last year, uh, we had some good runs last year. He knew going into this year that we got to, you know, we got to go for it. We got to try to make uh, what happened at the end of the year last year happen all year this year. And, uh, you know, the, there's the points money. There's everything involved that, that are new goals for him. Like they weren't really, like I said, they weren't really goals before, but now it, it feels like they are and they're attainable. So uh, we're just trying to go and do everything we can. And like I said, build off what we had last year. We're going to build up what we had last weekend and try to just keep getting better. Oh, yeah. Dave, David Starr was on last week. He said the exact same thing. What, what happens in, in the mid-pack, what happens in the mid-pack is sometimes more interesting than what goes on uh, up at the front. That's what David Starr said last week on the podcast. I mean, that was, I mean, 
And I, I know from from a when, from a fan perspective, when you go to the track and when you watch these races, you can watch everything that goes around, not just what the TV shows you. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting what goes on back there. I mean, sometimes you guys are three, four wide. I'm just using Homestead as an example. When I was watching the mid-back battle, you guys were like three, four wide battling. And especially this year, like Tommy Joe said, we talked about this so much that every every point matters, especially this mid-pack battle, this points battle. When you got when you got owners' points locking yourselves into these races, you know, no qualifying for most of them. It's so important, like every spot, even, you know, 24th, 23rd, 22nd, um, you know, that's, I mean, I imagine that's how everybody really feels during this time. Like in the Xfinity series, this year is just so deep. The field is so deep. Like Tommy Joe said, anybody can is capable of the top 15 finish. And I imagine that's like what he just said about uh, Mike was probably emphasizing that uh, everybody wins this season, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think that like the, the racing that we do back there is has changed. Like there used to be a lot more give and take in that, you know, 20th to 25th or even like 15th, to 25th range. Now everybody's like, they're pretty aggressive. I and mean, we're all, we all race hard. It's not like it used to be where you're like, Oh, it's 17th or Oh, it's 18th, whatever. It's like, no, we got it. I got to hold this spot. I got to race like I'm Ryan Newman right now to stay in front of this guy. Well, we know now, and everybody understands this, and that's why Daytona was what it was, right? Mm-hmm. Daytona is kind of the thing that sets you up, especially this year with no qualifying, right? Yeah. Going to Daytona was the whole thing. Now, looking at the time charts, Bailey, you guys were in trouble at Daytona yeah. because there were a lot of lease engines down there. There was a lot of speed. And uh, you're talking to a guy here that even though we had better points than you, we approached that race like, oh, my gosh, if we don't get in on time, we're out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So – I know you guys had to be the happiest people in the earth when it started pouring down rain. Yeah. No, <laughs> about about sure. 30 minutes before qualified, it dumped rain. And I think the happiest man on earth was both Carl Long and Mike Harmon. Yeah. I understand. You guys were looking at this like, I, I, we just can't go into that and lease two engines and do all this stuff. We just can't do it to try to prepare for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Kind of got a hedge and hope that our points are good enough, at least for a couple of cars to get in at Daytona. And then it yeah. worked out. And, and that has basically set y'all up to now be in the rest of these races until we get to Coda. No. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, uh, that was big for us. Uh, we were, we were pretty worried. I know that Kyle was really worried. I mean, the thing was, was if the 47 didn't make it, it wouldn't have made the next two either, even off of last year's points. I don't think. So uh, I was right there at 30th. So I knew that even if I didn't make Daytona, I could try to make some points uh, in the next two and try to go go on to the rest of the year. Right, because the top 30 were locked into the top to the first three races. Mm-hmm. So what I what I laugh about there, and we brought this up on the pod here <laughs> with RJ and I, was that you sneaking into the top 30 at the end of the year, which remember last race of the year, Phoenix top 15. Mm-hmm. Is that what got you in the top 30? Probably. I mean, we had a, we were really good. We actually had two, we had two good runs in the last three races. We finished 12th at Texas. That's right. And then we crashed at Martinsville, which hurt us. And then we were able to sneak right back into the top 30 with that. Yeah. That good run at Phoenix. So yeah, I mean, that definitely, I think, and that definitely helped for this couple of weeks where we've only getting paid that 4,500 because we're able to be in the bonus money uh, for those other ones. So that helps out quite a bit. 
Right. And, and so we've talked about the bonus money. I've been really open about the finances and all this mm-hmm. stuff. When we start talking about positioning and the points here, that bonus money for being in the top 30 is essentially like paying your tire bill. I mean, it yeah. is a big, big deal for the smaller teams. And that's why, and I pulled the points up here. Okay. Mm-hmm. I pulled the points up here just to look at it, to reference this. So right now the 74 car, your car is sitting mm-hmm. 32nd in the standings. Now we know the top 30 is where you really want to be. That's what everybody's shooting yeah. for. Well, from you all the way to 28th is four point separation. Yeah, I know. It's tight. <laughs> and, and behind you, there's another car at 58 points. So there's basically five cars within four points yeah. going for the top 30 right now. So that's when you're talking about the give and take and how everybody's approaching these races, Bailey. You're right, because everybody knows that they're just one race away, maybe one point away mm-hmm. from the type of money that's going to basically allow their program to have more success because this builds on each other. The more times that you're in that yeah. bonus, you're in the top 30. And we understood that with the approaches that we took to the races. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's crazy. I never thought about that stuff until I was over here. We were uh, able to, to go after points like that because I never really ran at a team for that many races for it to really you know, be on me as a driver where I know, okay, I got to go out here and perform to do this for the team, like before it's like, okay, I'll run, you know, this many races or whatever. So it doesn't really, like what I do isn't really affecting us. Uh, but now I feel like it is. Yeah. That, that points battle you talk about is, is tight everywhere. And I know, yeah, I was just looking at that. The owner points and the driver's points, um, both very tight. So hopefully you guys can, you know, get up there, get that bonus. And, you know, this year, is that really, that's something you guys aim for. I know Tommy Joe, you know, talks about the goals and everyone, every Xfinity driver we really had on here and your guys' situation said the same thing. You just want to be in that top, you know, selection of drivers and the owner's points and get that bonus at the end of the season and just to feel good, you know, to run good all year. So because consistency is really the thing that you guys look for, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, on top of the owner's points, there's the driver's points. If you can sneak into the top 20 of that, that's a uh, pretty good payday at the end of the year. I know it's a long way out, but uh, yep. it's never too early to start uh, working on that and paying attention to that. Yeah, and, uh, and basically all of these mid-pack teams, right? So that's what we talk about the depth here. Basically, Mike Harmon's team, my team, uh, the DGM team with Mario Goslin, um, Timmy Hill over there with Carl Long's team. Uh, the JD Motorsports guys, BJ McLeod's guys, yeah. 25 teams here that all think, oh, well, I can get the driver points. Yeah. And, and there's realistically like 30 to 32 guys that are going to run full time in points for the year. And, and well, there's only 20 spots. And so everybody right now, RJ, and, and everybody listening, everybody thinks, well, oh, I got a shot at it. We can get back in it. Yeah, yeah. No, and these begin- the beginning of this year is so tight and so hotly contested. Now, what we know is by the time we get to the middle of the season, this stuff is kind of started, started, starting to sort itself out a little bit. You kind of see the contenders. Some of the guys are kind of maybe stuck mid-pack, bad luck, whatever it is. But right now, everybody's still in go mode as we're heading to Atlanta. And, and clearly, you've got a clear goal set in front of you, right? Backing up a top 10 finish, but also – that points deal, as close as it is, you're trying to jump those next few cars in front of you. Oh, definitely. And like like you said, I was in the last year, I was like, man, if I could run for Mike, I could make that top 20. There's like, what, 23 guys? I got to beat three people. It'll be easy. And then, like, January comes around. It's like, well, they're full-time, and they're full-time. 
and me and Kyle are like, how many people is it now? Like, and then I was like, well, JD's got four full-time guys. That's never happened. Uh, right. And we're just trying to figure it all out. Then, like, New teams. People. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's still, like I said, it's right now it's still open. You can still go get it. So, uh, everybody's out there getting all they can. And when we wrap up here, we'll, we'll let you go here in a minute, uh, Bailey. But one thing that I kind of want to leave on here, I talked about maybe changing the narrative. I, I could talk about for me, I think the impression of me was always drove for his family team. They struggled. They're med pack guy. You know, it, this guy's not really probably even that talented. It's just his family's team and that's how he's running. And, and I've always been really vocal about the sport, kind of the, the process for a small team. I, I've spoken up about that. In a, in a way, just kind of shine a little more light on it because it's the situation that it's not just me, but but team guys like you, teams mm-hmm. like Mike Harmon Racing are in. But I felt like I definitely had that kind of thing cast on me, and maybe it was just completely in my head, right? But I felt like I needed to go have a top 10, to go finish in the top mm-hmm. 20 in the points, to be able to, like, knock these things down to try to, like, change the perception of me in general yeah. of what that is. And I feel like over time I probably have. When you get a run like seventh there, do you feel like that validates this a little bit? Uh, yeah, definitely. I feel like, you know, there's a lot. Growing up, you know, we I always ran good, and it's, it makes it hard when I get to this level, and I I can't. Like, it's it's so hard to do good. And uh, we got to go out there and, and run good uh, and get some attention, you know. I mean, it for the team and for myself, I mean, having the, the Xfinity Series Twitter shout me out, which happens once in a blue moon, and then you got – you know, TV people saying stuff. And to me, that, that definitely helps. And I think it, uh, you know, you start out, especially as a lower team guy, you got like five fans or just like, they just like you because you're in a low team. But now it's like, okay, well, this guy's actually pretty good. And you start to get a few more. And it definitely helps as far as the validation and just uh, getting some more fans, things like that, and uh, bringing attention to uh, the race team and myself. Well, I think when you first show up, there's this expectation that you're a NASCAR driver and therefore, that by itself is going to, like, make you relevant. And what you very mm-hmm. quickly realize is that nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody cares. Uh, the media don't, don't care. The fans don't care. The other teams in the garage really don't care. And there mm-hmm. is this, like, process of, well, you kind of got to prove that you belong here. Yeah. And I can speak for me as a competitor looking at you, Bailey. You absolutely belong here. And I think that you and, and Kyle are definitely changing the way that we look at Mike Harmon racing and definitely look at you guys' careers. No, yeah, I, that's uh, – thank you. Uh, that's all I really want to try to do. I like – honestly, I, as much as I like to, you know, go and run for gifts or something, I really enjoy the feeling of building up uh, a small team like Mike Harmon and, and, like I said, changing the narrative and helping, you know, get him more funding coming in from sponsors. Like I say, I mean, like we've had, like, every car we've ran this year has had a full wrap on it except for one, and uh, that's never happened over here. So, uh, like I said, changing the narrative and trying to bring more attention to Mike. And I think just building up the mid-pack teams in general, I think with uh, the competition in the mid-pack, we all get better and we're all closer to the front guys now, in my opinion. I mean, like I said, there's a two-tenth difference. And I even noticed on the long run in that last green flag stage, I was like, man, I could – Cedric's just right there. Like, he's not that far ahead of us. Like, we're running pretty good here. All of us are. And uh, I think that's cool. I think it kind of brings it back to kind of like the – the older Bush days, like, you know, 06, 07, I was watching racing Milwaukee, and I'm like, what team is that? Like, and it's just a one-off Bush team that's running up there, you know, third, fourth, fifth place. So I think uh, with the competition in the mid-pack, we all get better, and I'm just excited to see where that goes. 
Yeah. Well, hey, thanks man. a lot for joining us on the podcast, yeah. Bailey. Great. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll get something together uh, again in the future, man. And back here on the driver's meeting, thanks again for Bailey Curry for coming on. Uh, another awesome guest uh, we've had the past few weeks. Awesome guests here on the pod. Uh, David Starr last week, Bailey Curry this week. You kind of get uh, in-depth with some of the stories that they talk about and kind of what they go through during the season. But that'll give us another brief moment to talk about uh, another one of our sponsors, eBay, back on again for the third, I believe, fourth consecutive week. Uh, eBay's really helped us out uh, as the original sneaker marketplace. eBay's the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 and over, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. So one thing I want to jump in right into um, is something we kind of briefly talked about with Bailey Curry, but that was the PJ1. That's something that all the you know fans talk about. We haven't seen it the first four weeks of the season um, because we didn't go to a track that had it. Um, so now we're at um, Phoenix and, you know, a lot of, you know, once again, positive, negative thoughts on the PJ one. I, you know, me personally, I think it's really just how it's used. Like if it's, if it's worn down, you know, where they didn't respray it before the cup race, it's kind of better. Like you had said, you know, how you didn't, you kind of didn't understand why they resprayed it before the Xfinity race. Um, but is that a thing? Cause you've raced at Phoenix without it uh, and you've raced at Phoenix with it. Um, is there, you know, a vast difference at, from a driver's standpoint? Cause it's one thing to hear the fan standpoint, you know, on Twitter and everything, but from a driver's standpoint, you know, how, how different has it been from where you didn't have it when you do have it? Yeah, it's a lot different. Um, and I would say that the version without it is a much better racetrack that gives you more options. And it's a great racetrack. Phoenix was one of my favorite tracks to go to on the entire schedule. It's First of all, it's gorgeous. Awesome looking racetrack. Great for the fans. You can see it. Very fast. Challenging. Both setup wise and as a driver. A lot of speed. Different turns. Different approaches. How you get through traffic. A lot of fun, really. And that was no fun uh, Saturday at all. Uh, for me, anyway, uh, it was really nerve-wracking. There were a lot of cautions. There were a lot of torn-up cars. And that was a product of the PJ1. It was laid down. And look, uh, this is not me ripping NASCAR. NASCAR is sitting there trying to develop a second groove to hopefully encourage more side-by-side -side racing. The thing is, it just doesn't. And we've seen this time and time and time again that's not what encourages the side-by-side -side racing it encourages follow the leader racing because everybody knows what the predominant groove is it's going to be the higher groove where you can carry more speed and protect the right side of your car from somebody getting on your door and freeing you up so we're always going to protect that it's happened at mile and a half it's happened at phoenix now you could say that the cup race the last couple of times here at phoenix with the pj1 has been, at least in the second half of the race, an entertaining race. That PJ1 kind of evens out a little bit from the bottom groove by the time they've run 300, you know, 200 laps on it in the cup race and 200 laps on it in my race. Okay, well, that's fine. But for my series, I think it's not putting on a great show. 
Now, again, this is dependent on what do you think a great show is? <laughs> like for me in the car, I'm a little frustrated for the fans watching this. Maybe they think this is a blast seeing guys getting knocked out of the way and us all fighting for one group. They, they essentially have turned Phoenix into old Bristol by doing the PJ one down there on it. And look, I just think it takes away from every track we race RJ. I don't, I don't think it has ever really helped the racing product. And so I just am curious why we continue to do this. There is not one track that we've raced on that has really been made a lot better through the application of this. Like Phoenix was a great track. It put on some great races way before we put PJ one on it. So did Charlotte. It put on some good races. And, and that was a track that I could move all the way to the wall or all the way down on the bottom. But you wind up setting your car up, RJ, for it to run in the PJ1, right? Way more grip. You wind up freeing it up, freeing it up, freeing it up. Okay, well, now you got to try to pass somebody not in the PJ1. Well, your car is too loose to do anything. And so you can't really pass. You can only run in that one groove. And you go, well, just don't do that. Well, then I would be too tight to run up there in the PJ1. So it creates this dynamic that just leads to a lot of single file racing. Texas has done this. Now, Texas, I'll admit, that's probably the one track that this makes literally any sense with because that track sucks right now. It sucks. It's got just no grip at all. And it's one groove, whether they put PJ1 down or not. And so they're putting PJ1 down to try to help the second groove. And it, it does, but then we all just run that, right? So it's, but it was going to be crappy whether they put it down or not. Just the track surface is bad and it was configured poorly. And I can't say enough bad things about it. It's just a bad racetrack. Like I, I love Texas. I love Texas Motor Speedway. That's a bad racetrack. That's the worst one on the schedule now. And so, Whatever they do to that is kind of like, I don't really care. It's just going to be what it is. But the rest of these racetracks, man, they've got plenty of wear. Phoenix has got plenty of wear. Great racy surface all the way down to the apron in turn one. You can run high. You can run different lines. The, the putting out of the PJ1 didn't feel like it really helped the racing product to me. We still wound up having a Phoenix race. And so that just makes me ask, why are we doing that? Yeah, I when I look at these things, I try to look at things, you know, from a from a fan and driver's perspective. And I'm not a driver, so I don't, you know, hundred uh, percent know what the driver's feeling when they're racing this. But from a fan perspective, I'm not a huge, you know, fan of artificializing these tracks to make, you know, specific racing. And I don't feel like, like you said, it helps, you know, because we're, you know, the goal is like we do a track like I let's say Kentucky, which is off the schedule. And this is probably why. Um, they put that PJ one up there to make multi-group racing, but what's it do? It makes one dominant line where the inside was nothing. I mean, the inside was you go down there and you'd almost wreck yourself. if You went down on the inside from these races that I'm watching. And this weekend, the Xfinity race, we got, you know, the choose cool, the, the choose rule, right? We have, uh, every restart, the guy in second place would pick the outside, the guy, instead of going on the front row, he would go to the outside. Like, you know, if all guy was second, Cindric was first. Cindric goes to the outside. Allgaier goes to the outside. And that puts the third place car on the front row. And yeah, the choose rule and it leaves the ability to do that. But I felt like, man, the inside is really that bad to the point where we got the second place car choosing to line up four, basically, on the restart instead of, you know, first or second on the front row. 
And I just don't like it. You know, you talk about a track like Charlotte too. You know, did we really need that at Charlotte? I really didn't think we did. I was puzzled when they did it. You know, Texas, okay, because we've already ruined Texas. You know, you might as well just experiment with everything. But Charlotte, I really didn't understand because that's what really affected, especially the cup races there, you know, for the, for the Coke, uh, Coke 600. It was just predominantly the PJ1, and it seems like it cancels out every other lane. And sometimes I just don't get it. And sometimes it does work at like Phoenix when it's worn down, though, when you have racing on it, when you don't respray it. I just, you know, sometimes I just don't get why they put it down. And I imagine you feel the exact same way. I, you know, as just a, a fan watching the racing product, I'm not a huge supporter of artificializing all the racetracks to try and get specific racing because it really, it just hasn't worked. Where did this start, right? It started Bristol, right? So they changed Bristol and fans were complaining because that's what fans do. And they were complaining that, well, we're not seeing guys get bumped out of the way on the bottom. And that's Bristol to me. It's guys getting bumped out of the way on the bottom. Well, I laugh at that because the thing is, it was still a single groove racetrack. It was just around the top. We were just going faster. You were getting bumped out of the way. You were just getting bumped into the wall on the top groove. And then guys were turning under you. Slide jobs were a thing. And I'm going, okay, tell me what was bad about this. Like you made it progressive banking. And I think it's a fantastic racetrack. But the idea was, was put PJ1 down along the bottom so that we make it artificially a one groove racetrack around the bottom. That's going to be the fastest way, right? And, and we've seen the same pattern at Bristol over the same last few years. They spray it. The beginning parts of these races, it is always bottom lane dominant. But eventually, as the PJ1 yeah. wears off, everybody goes up to the top. And, and then you see for a little bit, there is this purity of the bottom and the top are roughly the same. And then the groove eventually kind of migrates to the top, right? It's almost like a dirt race in, in that sense where basically the line is going to change over the course of the race. I don't necessarily think that that's really added a lot to the race. I, I don't really think it has. Uh, at times where they've laid it on so thick for the Xfinity race, we've been along the bottom the entire way where nobody could go to the top all day. And I know why that is, RJ. It's because this is all in prep, not for us. It's all in prep for the cup cars, right? They're just trying to put on the best cup race that they can. And we just kind of have to bear the brunt end of it. And, and this is, again, this is not me complaining. I just know what the real show is here. The big show is on Sunday. And everything's in prep for that. So if we got to eat 300 laps on Saturday for them to put a better show on on Sunday. Well, then that's just the breaks, man. We just got to do it. And I understand it, but I don't really think that it's adding to the race. I think you're still going to see the best guys at Bristol be up there in the front, whether it's on the bottom group or at the top. So why are we doing this? And why do we keep doing this continually? And you've heard way more complaints from drivers. No, tell me a driver that's gotten out of a race car in the last two years that we've been doing this and been like, you know, the PJ1 was a really good addition. Like it's literally never happened. The, the only one that I hear talking maybe slightly positive about it is Joey Logano when he's on the Xfinity broadcast, <laughs> calling it the awesome sauce. That's a, that's about the only thing that I've heard. But you talk about Bristol and that top group, you know, the progressive banking you talk about, I, I like that racing. I, I, I didn't see any problem with it, you know? And I think when we do import 
you know, the bottom side, when you talk about important PJ one in these cup races and they do it for about maybe a hundred laps or even less, or maybe a little bit more. And then they all end up going to the top. Anyways, no, nobody's roughing each other up in the, in especially now in the cup series with these cars, nobody's roughing each other up in the first hundred laps of the race. It's just a single file line on the bottom. Everyone's just chilling out when we have stages, you know, um, nobody's got anywhere to go right away. Now in the Xfinity race that they, uh, that you guys ran, they know, like you said, the, the groove wasn't really changing. You're running the bottom of the whole race. I saw a little bit more of people roughing each other up, you know, given we had Ross Chastain, no Gregson guys like that in the field who were roughing each other up. Um, you know, there weren't really, there, there were more in the Xfinity race than you'd see in the cup series and everyone just waits until you can go to the top. And I liked the racing when they, when there was kind of, you know, going around the top lane, I had no problem with it. But I guess some people did, and NASCAR decided to put some PJ1 on the bottom, which it doesn't really work for the company. And, and by the way, not really NASCAR. That was Speedway Motorsports, yeah. right? So they operate Bristol, and, and that's where most of the complaints have actually been levied in this PJ1 stuff is against Speedway Motorsports. Kentucky, that was them. Charlotte, that was their idea. Bristol, that was their thing. And, and Denny Hamlin eventually was the one that spoke out about this and was yeah. like, how about you ask us? <laughs> like, how about you just talk to us one time before you do this? And, you know, now it's it's bleeding over into some NASCAR tracks. And, and NASCAR owns, you know, uh, Phoenix Raceway. Look, we're going to go put on a race, right? We're going to go put on a good show no matter what it is. I, I feel like, and obviously I'm a little biased. I'm sitting in the race car. I know when I'm really frustrated in a car at my lack of options, you know what? There are times when people are like, well, that was a great race. And there are times that people are like, well, that race sucked. So I, there's no like direct comparison where like, if I'm mad, then the fans are bad. No, because sometimes when I'm mad, that's putting on the best show. Right. So I don't know. And I know that everybody's trying to put on the best show. Like that's what we're all doing as competitors, as the racetracks, as NASCAR stages, trying to bunch the field back up. All the stuff that we're doing is to try to put on the best show. Yeah. But what I ask is if the, at the end of the day, we're not really changing the racing product, right? It winds up back in the same place anyway. Well, then why are we doing this? Because every time we do it, it does have consequences to kind of the first series that are getting in there. And if where we wind up at the end of the day on Sunday is, well, some of the PJ1 burned off and now it's, you know, it, it's a little more evened out. What? Well, then what are we doing? Because that, that doesn't doesn't feel like any of this is necessary if that's the point that we're trying to get back to yeah you mentioned when denny hamlin kind of called him out last year and i believe that was when the kentucky race was happening which i think was the worst race of the season i like for the cups definitely that was terrible you but here's the thing also you put in this package where if you're running behind somebody you're probably not going to pass them very easily at least in the cup series and now, Kentucky, you make it a one-lane racetrack. Even Charlotte, before, you make Charlotte a one-lane racetrack for one of the races that they have. We're not getting very many passes because you simply can't, you know, with, with the cup package they run. The Xfinity, it might be a little bit easier. Um, but as far as the cup series goes, it was very challenging. And I know that all the drivers were saying how at Kentucky, they didn't know that they resprayed the PJ1 until they woke up for the race that morning. They had no idea. And I think that's probably what Denny Hamlin was fairly mad about. And probably a bunch of other drivers as they just woke up expecting it to be okay, thinking all night the PJ1 is going to be a little bit worn down. Maybe we can use the bottom groove. 
they wake up. Oh yeah. We respayed the track. And that changes, that changes the whole thing because then, yeah. you know, that's you, then you essentially know. like anytime you hear PJ one, you need to think about this like a dirt track, right? Yeah. I mean, cause that's essentially they're, they're treating the track just like a dirt track. And so it's going to change as the grip level changes in the PJ one, as the other groove gets rubber laid down on it. But the thing is when, when the PJ one is freshly sprayed, it is so clearly the dominant groove that nobody is going to run out of it. So you're not putting any rubber down on the bottom groove or in any other groove for that matter. You're just doing it there. Yeah. So then when you go, oh, the PJ one's burning off. Well, there's no rubber on the other groove. So you're kind of just committed to it. And, and so that was Phoenix for us. And that sensation of as soon as I knew that they resprayed the track Saturday morning, I went, okay, well, here we go. I already know what this is going to be. And it literally took us maybe, what, 25 laps into the race before people were going up there to it. It was pretty quick. And, and we basically stayed up there the entire race. And so, you know, you just know what you're getting into uh, when time this, this kind of happens. And the result, I feel like it would have been a more competitive race and, and given us as drivers more options really without that PJ one. Now it wouldn't have been, we probably wouldn't have run as high on the racetrack as what the PJ one was. You're right. We probably wouldn't have gone that far. But we could have widened out the groove and we're laying down rubber that the next day the cup guys come on and they race on and they're widening it out even more. And there's kind of the natural track progression and, and we're artificializing yeah. that. And I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and the thing about Phoenix always before is when we go to these tracks of PJ one, you know, especially this weekend, we're not even talking about racing what the actual track is they're all they're all just talking about pj1 non-stop and how it's you know how it's working and before in phoenix this was really the track where it felt like you could extend to wherever you wanted you know you could go below that that line and turn what is now turns one and two and try to make a pass because the person wouldn't be up in a slipstream up in the pj1 in a dominant lane you don't see anybody kind of extending you know only on the restarts that was the only right. way and even on the restarts everyone would try their best to migrate to the pj1 which would cause crashes and it did on that final restart i mean who who is it he had like two guys that were just full sent it on the final restart yeah i gotta get up to the top and they're in the wall yeah jeb went for it oh yeah jeb <laughs> i wasn't gonna <laughs> say anything but yeah jeb burton went for it holy cow he sent it in there i know you know, I don't know if he just like missed the bottom or he was trying to get to the top because there were a lot of people that would dive into the bottom and like, okay, got to get to the top, got to get stopped. Hopefully I'm clear high and bam, you know, you miss the cushion and you're in the fence. I mean, you, you had the incident where, where you were in the wall and I was very surprised. Now, did you hit the wall harder than TV showed? Like, were you in the wall longer no. than what they showed us? That's because why I was as surprised as anybody as Kosh came out. I figured yeah. that there must be fluid on the racetrack, right? Or something. Cause you know, I got up in the wall and it, admittedly, I didn't really feel like I did anything like different going into the corner and I'd scrape the wall. I think there was somebody that in front of me, I think the 26 car got into the wall and he kicked up a bunch of dirt and, whatever speedy dry and stuff kind of on the groove. And I was the first car right behind him. I was probably two, three car lengths behind him. I got in there then I got loose and then I got up in the wall a little bit, but I mean, I, I literally, I didn't even knock the Goodyear off the side of the tire. I mean, I barely brushed it at all. And they were like, Oh, caution's out. And I was like, okay, well that must be, there must be something on the track here. 
right? Like yeah. that's why the 26 hit it. That's why I hit it. And they were like, no, you brought the caution out. I was like, what? Huh? How did I bring the caution out? I was like, I barely got in the wall at all. Uh, now I'm glad that we did because I wound up losing a couple of spots because I got in the wall and it gave us kind of a chance to regroup. But yeah, that was a little confusing. I, and, and you go, okay, does NASCAR have a quick trigger here because of just the way that race had played out, right? There were a lot of cautions. There were cars that had broken. There, were, there was fluid on the racetrack. Are they just being a little extra careful? Look, however the race was called, the, it was called the way that it was called, right? It was going to be – there's some NBA games you watch. They're blowing the whistle a lot. There's some NBA games you watch, maybe in the playoffs, where they're, they're letting a lot of stuff go. And it, for whatever reason, at Phoenix, in our race, they were calling it pretty tight. There were a lot of cautions. And there were a few of those that I was surprised that were a caution, but that's just how that race went, right? And, and as drivers, you got to adapt to it. It, it benefited me a few times. It, it probably hurt me a few times and, and then you just got to live with it. That's one thing I was so puzzled about because everyone talks about consistency and stuff like that. And I'm looking at the final restart. We're talking about how so many guys sent it. You got like three guys slam the wall. Justin Allgaier slams off the corner. There's smoke everywhere. And I'm like, oh, it's got to be a caution, right? No. <laughs> and wasn't. Me in was the driver's like, seat, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Well, that's a caution. We're going to re-rack them here. And my, I'm in the middle of being sideways in the middle of the corner trying to avoid everybody washing up there to the top and my spotters on the radio like well there's no caution and he was like just as surprised as i was in the seat and so then all of a sudden i'm in the middle of three wide racing two cars that are wrecked going oh you know i guess we're i guess we're still going here because at that point when we're exiting turn two i know that like well the leader's probably already back to the line or, or starting to basically approach that. So now they're just, we're racing the whole way now, right? Like this is final. I got to get all I can get. Um, and you're in the middle of trying to save your race car. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's wild. Look, you know what you're getting into with this stuff, RJ. In the Xfinity series, we've had four green, white checker finishes in five races. And the fifth race had a caution with under 10 laps to go. We had a restart and under 10 to go. So we basically had a late restart every race and you just know what you're getting into with those late rate restart. They're going to be crazy. And like at Homestead, the, the Allgaier spin, that was a quick caution. Like, did that need to be a caught? Well, maybe, you know, but then there's a guy on the wall on the second one and we're not calling the caution on that. Okay. Well, we're just going to race. Like what we know is we just got to race until the caution comes out every time. And you just got to race as hard as you can. And you got to know that everybody else around you is doing the same thing. Yeah. So now we look ahead uh, before we wrap up here. We got, you got six straight PJ one free races in the Xfinity series. We got Atlanta, Martinsville, Talladega, Darlington, Dover, and then circuit of the Americas. So now definitely a track where we're always talking about racing the racetrack is Atlanta this weekend. So I know you got, um, as far as the field, the only thing that really changed is Martin Tricks Jr. Uh, you'll be racing against this weekend. Uh, in the 54 car. And I think that's about it as far as the entry list uh, changes. Everything's usually the same, especially where we are now uh, with everyone being, you know, locked in. Um, but here we go to Atlanta. You go to Atlanta where you're really battling the racetrack. And then next week, the week after that, you got Mars or two weeks after that, you got Martinsville. So you really, where you know you're probably going to beat the bumper off of the thing, um, as, as you were saying last time uh, in that playoff race. So, 
you got any uh, expectations, goals, you know, going for Atlanta? Because, I mean, you were there last year, so you, uh, you've, you've been there. You've ran the racetrack recently. Uh, yeah, it's a track that needs no introduction. It's just how many sets of tires are you going to give me? And I'm going to use every one of them <laughs> as, as much as I can. Uh, it's the same thing as Homestead, the same thing as Auto Club Speedway. Just extremely high tire wear. Um, if you looked at the surface, if they take a picture of it, there's always that picture on Twitter. Of, they take a picture of the surface. I mean, it basically looks like a gravel road. Uh, it, it it really does need to be repaved, but it's just putting on such a good show that we're just reluctant to do it. And we know that. Yeah. So we're just, we're just going to keep running at it, I guess, until there's just a pothole big enough to swallow up a car going into it. Uh, there's yep. more sealer on the surface than there is gravel at this point. Uh, but we know that we're going to be able to move around top, bottom, middle, uh, multi-groove racing, tire conservation. It always puts on a good show. The guys that are generally the best stock car drivers wind up performing at places like this, at places like Darlington. Uh, to me, this is stock car racing on a mile and a half racetrack. This is the, the NASCAR racing I grew up with. Yeah. Managing your tires, managing a run. And even though those, those runs are shorter now than they were back in the day before we had stages and stuff like that, there is still that benefit of taking care of your car, saving a little bit for the end of the race, saving a set of tires, the strategy of, I'll tell you right now, we, you know, we talked to Bailey Curry on this episode. Bailey Curry, if he came in with two laps to go and everybody else was out of tires and he had 10 lap fresher tires and everybody in the field and he started 25th, he would have a chance to win the race, <laughs> like straight up could win it on tire strategy. And we go to a racetrack like this, you know, I love that aspect of, you know what? The tires are going to fall off so much that strategy and conservation and the way that you approach it can completely change the way that you perform. You can outperform the car with strategy. And, and that is neat. That adds to more drama because um, in the cup race, they're thinking the same thing, right? Now, in the cup race, it's almost like they got unlimited sets of tires, yeah. right? In our race, we get five or six sets, and you got to pick and choose when you're putting those things on, and you get to the spot at the end of the race where if you were too aggressive, well, you know, again, it might be a car that you've beaten all day long, but if they've got an extra set of tires at the end of the race, there is nothing you're going to be able to do to hold them off, and, and I think that creates a lot of fun dynamics for the crew chiefs, for the drivers, and for everybody watching in the unpredictability of what you're going to see in all three series being there. Yeah, I, I like that tire set strategy in the Xfinity series. I know I know Ryan Seek will have a tire set at the end, an extra tire set, because they always do that all the time. Yeah. It's always, oh, there goes Ryan Seek, saving a set of tires. Um, but, I mean, is that something that you guys have, have ever looked into, saving saving a set for the end of the race? I mean, I imagine everybody does, but it's really how the race plays out, how many cautions, you know. Sure, and Ryan's also been very aggressive on using sets of tires for stages, where if there yeah. is a caution – in a stage that breaks the stage up, Ryan and his family look at that like, okay, well, I'm going to bolt on a set of tires here and we're going to try to go get some stage points. And so it's going to be determined on competition cautions. That kind of takes away some of that strategy, right? Because at a comp, probably the majority of people are going to come put on tires at a place like that. If you don't, even though it's only a 20 lap run, you're risking going a lap down because the tire fall off is going to be two, three seconds a lap. 
um, where if you're a, a slower car and you don't pit, the leaders, if they do pit, I mean, they could literally lap you in 20 laps. So um, that kind of stuff comes into play a little bit. And look, what we're trying to do, again, I've said this, put on the best show. A worn out racetrack generally puts on some of the best racing that we have at NASCAR. A hot, slick, worn out racetrack, those are the ones that the fans generally gravitate to and say, hey, this is the type of racing we like to see. It doesn't matter what you guys did with the aero platform. It doesn't matter what you know engine package we're running. Big, heavy stock cars, tires that wear out really fast, and a racetrack that you can move around on, that is when NASCAR is just, that's the chef's kiss. And Atlanta is going to give you that this weekend. Yep, Atlanta's going to give it to you. You got Atlanta, Martinsville, kind of like you said, some drivers' racetracks coming up. And hey, forty-four cars is only like what eleven points out of the playoffs. Let's hey, <laughs> no, watch hey, out because hey, if you can make that playoff picture, you know, get get on the TV graphic. That's that's all you that's all you want. Sometimes that's where we want to be. We want to be in in the hunt all year. If we're in the hunt all year, that's a great year for the. Yeah, there's always those four. Yeah, that are in the hunt. You want to be in that graphic. So hey, you're you're right there. You're right behind Landon Castle. He's off to an impressive start as well. So. Man, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait for Atlanta weekend. Uh, this is uh, the first time that I'll be at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I've never been there. Um, you know, I know they got the whole, uh, I know that's some interesting scenery around there, I guess. Um, I've never been there, so I'm just going for the uh, the first, uh, the, the two days of the weekend. We got a doubleheader on Saturday. It's going to be the intro, so that'll be great. That's great setup, man. And, and oh, yeah. RJ, you're going to have a blast. It's a great track to watch a race at. It's a personal Thing for me, I grew up going to races there. My grandmother uh, was in Atlanta, and, and we went twice a year, every year, um, in the spring and in the fall. And that was that was my track. That was my NASCAR track, and, and it means a lot to me. And I think that Atlanta Motor Speedway has reevaluated the fan experience over the last few years, taken out rows of grandstands, put in drink holders, try to give you more room to spread out. Look, it's a great spot to watch a race. You're going to have a lot of fun. I would encourage anybody that's down there in the area down there in the South that wants to go watch a good weekend of racing. I'm telling you, Atlanta Motor Speedway is the place you want to go watch it. Yeah. They always call it hot at Hotland. I was surprised to check the weather report and see it's in the mid fifties. So, I mean, it'll, it'll be nice and sunny, hopefully. Um, I have no rain scheduled at all, but it'll be in mid fifties. So that'll be a little bit, a little bit odd. I know they were all telling me, Oh, Hotland, I get ready. You know? <laughs> well, it's mid fifties. So, you know, it'll, it'll be a good time. I can't wait to uh, watch the race there. I bet everyone can't wait to go there. I know the drivers love, going to Atlanta. You got to, got to get all the tires you need. So uh, another great episode of the pod, Bailey Curry, glad to have him on. We'll see. Uh, we'll see maybe who has another standout run this weekend. We'll, we'll get him on the podcast. So <laughs> that'll be awesome. So Atlanta this weekend. And thank you guys all for tuning in once again. See you next week. If you made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the driver's meeting podcast today, wherever you may be, and hope you stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Apple podcasting, Spotify, the believe podcasting network, and much more. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.